Hasta la vista, baby. Think I'm crying? There's no crying in baseball! I'll get you my pretty and your little dog too! King Kong ain't got shit on me! It's showtime. Welcome to this week's of the Rewind It Back podcast. It is a Thursday night, and not only is it Thursday in our usual show, but it is also... Yes, may the 4th be with you, Star Wars fans out there. We got to do one of the Star Wars movies soon, Joe. We do. I, I, I'm actually, you know, it's funny. I had mentioned to my mother-in-law that we were doing the show tonight, and she said, are you doing a Star Wars movie? I was like, damn it. <laughs> yeah, it, just, it was just poor. like an oversight on our part. Honestly, yeah. it's all it was. Or poor planning on, a, on our part. Well, I, am, I am surprised we, we haven't done one yet, though. Like across the board, like I'm surprised. We've kicked around. I think Empire Strikes Back, but. Yeah, we're 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 getting there. Um, but yeah, bad form on our part. We'll work it in somehow. But you know, <laughs> wish wish we could do this podcast every day. But you know, parenting, full time job, and stuff. other things that other stuff that life throws at you. But anyway, so tonight, Joe, this was your pick. You picked 1964 Zulu. You must abandon this mission. There are four thousand Zulus coming against you. <laughs> What's our strength? Uh, seven officers, including surgeon, commissaries, and so on. <laughs> Wounded and sick, 36. Fit for duty, 97. Not much of an army for you. Did the runner bring orders? He brought orders to the commander of this post. To do what? To hold our ground. To hold our ground? Military genius thought up that one. You know that a 4,000 Zulu is coming this way. We know. When you throw out your men in the street and assault with you, you know how the Zulus feel about cavalry. You know how my men feel about Zulus. What do you know about Zulus? Bunch of savages, isn't it? A Zulu regiment can run. Run 50 miles and fight a battle at the end of it. Oh, when you take command, old boy, you're on your own. Movie stars Stanley Baker, Jack Hawkins, Eula Jacobson, James Booth, and Michael Caine. And might I add, this is Michael Caine's, I believe, his first movie. I think on all his uh, resume on IMDb shows, like he was in a couple, I don't know, shows or maybe small parts in movies here and there. But this was like his first, like front and center. And Joe, as I mentioned, that this is uh, this is your pick tonight. Um, yes, and this is this is an epic movie. It's about a little over two hours long, but it's a it's an epic. There's, I, I think I might be wrong, but this seems like it takes takes place in real time, and by that I mean it takes place almost like in one day. Um, and takes this place over like, two days. Yeah, the, and it's considered very historically accurate to what actually happened between the British and the Zulu tribe, and that's what you had mentioned that that's why this movie stands out to you with how historically mm-hmm. accurate it is. Yeah, so as I was, so I, I was kind of having an off-camera chat with Bill, and so one of the things that stands out about a lot of war movies and period pieces is that they're not historically accurate. And I think, the, for example, there are, there have been numerous articles that have been written about Braveheart, the nineteen ninety six Mel Gibson classic, which, which is a fantastic movie. Don't get me wrong, but it's considered to be a horribly inaccurate portrayal of 
that time period with the dress, the weapons fighting style. And it's really not the story of William Wallace that everybody would like you to believe. However, this movie, and then there's a few others like this movie that have come out in the last maybe 50 or 60 years that are really good at portraying those, the battle or the war that it's set in. And this, so this movie takes place at the battle of works drift, which is a, which was a Swedish outpost in South Africa during the Anglo Zulu war. When, when great Britain was occupying South Africa as a colony and the Zulus fought back and overwhelming numbers it's, your, it's sort of your typical big war battle right you have an overwhelming force of a of a lesser equipped and quite frankly lesser trained force against a smaller more technically trained force of the british and the british somehow survive and it really just stands out as beyond being michael kane's first movie it's just a really good telling and accurate telling of a historic battle and if my if my memory serves uh, this was one of the most decorated battles in all of that war with the equivalent of like the uh, Medal of Honor being given out like a dozen times, something like that. So high, uh, high praise to the troops who, uh, who who manned the station. Yeah, I remember learning about this battle like probably back in uh, middle school. Yeah, and this was probably the first movie that I've ever seen that based on. And I got to say, too, that uh, this is my first movie of Michael Caine was uh, Christmas Carol with the Muppets. Then before that, the only movie that I saw before the Muppet Christmas Carol of his was Jaws 4, which was a complete steaming pile of shit. So now I've seen Michael. K- How old is he in this movie? He's like, oh, he's got he, he's got to be like maybe in his late 20s, early 30s. Yeah, I was going to say early young. 30s. He's but anyway, my point is, is that I'm glad now I can say like, hey, a good movie that I've one of Michael Caine's movies that I, I saw as I grew up and got out of like the Muppet Carol phase and like. You know, he's, he was in he was Austin Powers' his dad, and then he was uh, Alfred in the Batman uh, Christopher Nolan <laughs> trilogies. So this was great. The story it starts out like right in the um, in the beginning. There's um, we see the Zulu tribe look like something that we would probably see out of a National Geographic magazine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, that's fair. But <laughs> so, um, but like there was this, I guess, this father and this daughter, and they witnessed like this um, this marriage thing go on. So mass wedding ceremony yeah. where just a large group of males were to be married off to a large group of females. And then those males were going to go off to war. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, it's, it's such a, and that's a, a, you know, cultural shock to us, right? Like we don't think about weddings as being these sort of mass events, at least not with number, with number of people at the same time getting married, but also then getting married and shipping off to war. If I, if I, if my memory serves the, the Zulu tribe as a warrior culture and it's in, in, in many respects akin to the Spartans and so they're used to the sort of rugged lifestyle of being on being you know constantly fighting and given that they were fighting other tribes in South Africa as well as the British makes a lot of sense but I think one line stands out from that whole scene is you know why make a lot of widows it kind of just sets the tone right of the whole movie right from the right from the start like the whole time this movie is just is just building yeah, and there's we see a, a a small we don't well we don't even see we just see the aftermath of a small battle of where a Zulu tribe wiped out an entire troop of British soldiers. This happens in the beginning, and that's when we come to find out that later in the movie when there's a that great big battle scene um, when the Zulus have rifles. And the reason why they have them is because they took them off all the soldiers that they killed in the beginning. Yeah, 
so this um but the, the the whole battle like it was it's like it was like your lord of the rings battle almost like the the zulu <laughs> tribe they were they were um they were like the orcs they just kept yeah. coming in waves you know against these uh the, the small little army yeah but you know so one thing that stands out about the about the fighting is that you know the hand to hand stuff is you know the British were losing, right? I mean, once the once the Zulu tribe tribesmen had sort of crossed like the, the, the like the grain bag barriers and were fighting with spears versus bayonets, it was sort of a not not really a fair fight. But when the British were able to form rank and go volley, 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 you know, first volley, fire, second rank, volley, fire, and they kind of watch repeat for an entire like five minutes of just mowing them down. And so it kind of shows you like the difference in fighting style. I mean, the Zulu and not having any technology beyond like wicker shields and homemade spears versus, you know, Martini Henry rifles and precision fire from the British. It kind of shows why once the British had a chance to get organized and not be sort of scattered around their little uh, Rourke's fort that they were able to successfully defend the, the fort from the uh, onslaught of thousands of Zulu warriors. Yeah, what was the uh, the count they had to mention it in some at one point? It was yeah, like four four thousand. Yeah, there was, there, there was about four thousand Zulus to one hundred and thirty nine British, both both um, wounded and not wounded. So basically, you're so and as you as you saw in the movie, or for our listeners who haven't seen it, there were about thirty five or so of the of the British soldiers who were in the hospital, either with like either they had gone crazy, you know, you know, PTSD was not really a thing that then, but we know what it is now. They had gunshot wounds. They were limping, crawling, and they'd pick up a rifle and poke a hole in the window and, you know, do their duty as a British soldier. So very small. Somehow in the movie, the you know, a couple of the main characters they all they all survive, um, and then like the battle happens during the day and, and it kind of it continues like into the night, and then the next morning at dawn, a lot the next <laughs> again wave of Zulus approach. Uh, they're within like a couple, several hundred yards of the British, and they start singing. And it's almost like they're at first they think like, oh, they're mocking us, but they're really like. I think they said that they're honoring the British soldiers' like bravery and like and just being such strong defenders. And then I no, they just leave. I'm like, hey, you put up a good fight. On to the next. Yeah, it, yeah, and it's like it almost seems like why'd you do it, right? Like if you weren't going to finish the job. Why did you willingly sacrifice, you know, however many I, I forget the I forget the the totality count of um of the Zulu side of the of, of the Battle of Works Drift, but why did their king decide to sacrifice X X number of lives just to be like, okay, they're honorable and leave? Like the entire point of the of the whole Anglo-Zulu war was that they were conquering they were the British came in, were trying to take your land and you fought back and then you kind of turned turned the other cheek and left. Like it made no sense. I mean, honor is one thing, sure, but like, finish the job. I mean, the Native Americans you didn't fight back. I mean, <laughs> it just yeah. it, was very, it was very weird to me. Like the like the approach to the battle. Like I understand why, but just very weird to me. So one thing about this movie that really stands out to me is sort of the interpersonal dynamic. So the fighting is one thing. That's set to we very bin that off. Fighting was it was it was good recreation of like the single shot rifles and the types of battle formations that the British used and the Zulu used. But there were some really unique character dynamics in this movie that, you know, that I I had saw it the first time in in grad school and I didn't expect when I first saw it. But for instance, there's the Michael Caine's character. I believe that is uh, what is his name? Uh, Bromhead. And then 
the other senior officer, um, Chard, they kind of have their own internal battle because they were commissioned around the same time and it went by seniority. And he was, and Chard was a few months senior to Bromhead. And so they, and, and so throughout the movie, they tended to kind of fight a little bit about what, what to do, neither having ever been in battle before, which I find very interesting. Yeah, there was good uh, good character development. I mean, the movie was long enough when you spend yeah. enough time with these guys to actually learn who they who they were, just as a as a person and, and as in the uh, the rank in the military. So, uh, my question to you is, Joe. So, this movie, nineteen sixty seven. Okay, how did you stumble upon this movie? <laughs> so, um, when I was in graduate school in roughly the early twenty ten time frame. A few of my buddies and I used to do um, a weekly movie night on Thursdays. Either we do that or we play video games, drinking cheap beer. And one night, a, um, a buddy of mine, Drew, had brought over a bunch of war movies. His, Him and his family were military. They're you know, big war buffs. And he had brought over a variety of movies, including this one. I had, I had seen some of them before, so we voted on this movie. This is probably 2010, 2011, somewhere in there. So we, and so we voted on this movie to watch. He put it in the DVD player when those were still a thing. It might have been uh, his Xbox. Yes. It, oh, it, man, it, you would have won my heart if you said VHS. Yeah, it might have been his Xbox we used for, his, for as a DVD player. Yeah. And we watched it. And, you know, I mean, I'm, I mean I'm, I'm kind of a history buff on my own right. And so I and I had known a little bit about this conflict before. I mean, beyond you know, you're taught in middle school about some of these battles about how the British sort of conquered the world, right? So you're yeah. taught some of these things in school, but you know, not to the level of detail that you know one can appreciate as an adult. And so he we watched his movie, and then I was just one it was Michael Caine's first movie, and this is around the time you know, not long after The Dark Knight. So we were t- talking about how him as the butler and, you know, as Alfred in the Batman franchise and then kind of rolled into what else had he been in? So on war movies, he'd been in like the Italian job, the original one. And uh, or was that Steve McQueen's? He was no, one of those. That, that was Michael Caine. Yeah, I thought so. Yeah, I thought so. Yeah. So, you know, kind of seeing some of his library and then this and then this fit with the war motif. And we watched it. I thought it was fantastic. I watched it again a, a couple of days later. But yeah, I just thought it was so interesting watching, you know, period correct firearms, period correct, you know, attire, and really period correct dialogue and how the fighting actually happened. Because one of the things that's so nice about battles like this is that there's written records because this, this is 1879. So it's still, you know, with a lot of battles, it kind of gets lost in the mystery because all the writings have, you know, fallen apart over time. And so some of these battles you you hear about from, from Europe and, and British campaigns have gotten lost to time a little bit because the writings are gone this one there's very accurate records kept from because it was 19th century so we can go back and see you know the roster of men weapons they used how the battle was detailed and so they did a good job in this movie and that's why i liked it so much and just although i have to say for being michael kane's first movie i don't he didn't his performance didn't really like leap out at me right i mean like he i'm not saying he was bad it was a great, good performance for his part, but you know, it, it wasn't like he stole the screen like in his other movies he does. Maybe it's just because he was young and he was trying to find his way in show business at the time. But he did a good job playing a young and inexperienced military officer. But he just didn't like grab the screen. And I get where you're coming from about like how you know it's his first movie. Maybe he didn't have obviously he wasn't well established to have the chops. But I kind of like the idea or just the idea in general maybe someone um, who's new to show business 
maybe starting out in a in a war movie not like you know full-on battles or anything like even if it's just a story of like a side story during wartime mm-hmm. i think it's it's pretty cool because you know now like like how many how many Bruce Willis movies were made before he was in that movie Tears of the Sun playing something during wartime? Oh, good how, lord, yeah, yeah. How many? Um, I don't know. Like Travolta was in. I, no, I don't think Travolta was in like a war movie, but he had. My point is, is that like it's almost it's it's more believable if it's like earlier in their career. If it's sure. now, you know, like they're just like this action hero. Like if The Rock was in a war movie today, I'd be like, I can't take this seriously. It, it would be you know, virtually like, unwatchable. Yeah, like it's just it's just overdone. You got these macho bodybuilder men like the the <laughs> The Rock. He's the Schwarzenegger and the Stallone of like this this time present day but although admittedly not to interject too much but arnold playing a commando in predator totally believable yes <laughs> but anyway um now nah, i think but my point is that i think that it was it was it was yeah. good for him because i don't think like a lot of people would have taken him seriously at least i wouldn't that's have, fair you know right now if this happened no but the actor that played john chart uh, stanley baker i thought did an outstanding job at really showing that although as a military officer, he was an engineer. So he's building bridges. So and he had no battle experience, but it's almost like he knew what to do. It's kind of like that because of his education and background and building and being an engineer, he just knew like, you know, where to put people to best defend the fort. And so I feel like, you know, the cockiness of Michael Caine's character, Bromhead versus sort of the level-headed nature and more tactical brain of Chard or Stanley Baker um, was a really nice Porch, you know, a nice character dynamic because you got two officers who are both roughly at the same level in their career, but one being just sort of a cocky rich boy, which is what Bromhead was because his father, he said in the movie, his father and grandfather were generals. So that kind of, you know, in, 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 in the British military, co- uh, commissions were granted often from family lineage because they still, they still believe in that landowner shit, that whole t- cat system where you don't get that in the US military, at least not to the same extent. And then the engineer was like, he, he he knew what to do the whole time, more or less. And I thought that was a nice sort of back and forth. And then there was one character we have yet to talk about, the jackass in the in the hospital. I believe his name oh, was what, Henry Hook. I thought it was Hook. Yeah. That guy was a jackass, and I loved every minute of it. <laughs> Me too. He played. He's a he's a good actor that just like he knew the role he had to play of just being an absolute like dipshit, and like he played it so well. Oh my god, it was perfect. And like he, <laughs> it's like he was trying to steal every glass of bourbon he could find, you know, insulted the woman, you know, didn't want to fight, sat there playing cards, you know, like I mean everything yeah. that, that you don't want in a soldier, he was it. Fucking with the guy on the bottom bunk who's tweaking out. <laughs> yeah, I mean hitting, just hitting him with buckets. You know, but at, in the end, you know, he came to his senses and he started defending the being a sold the soldier he was being paid to be, right? Yeah, you know, and the thing is, like, I think we've seen that character in a lot of other movies. For instance, I believe the Dirty Dozen had at least one character who was basically that equivalent. I forget which character it was now, who was basically a smart ass. You know, the smart ass character the whole time. Who was mm-hmm. it? Um, I, know, I there were so many people in that movie. <laughs> yeah, I, I know. I, I know who you're talking I, about. Exactly. I just don't know you, know, the, you know, the guy trying to get dry shaved, right? That smart ass the whole time. Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's the, it's that's the exact same character. The whole in this movie. I'm telling you, you're laughing over there, but I'm telling you, it's no, the same you're, you're you're right. And it's just like it's a nice comedic balance because a war movie. I mean, if you've seen some, so for our listeners, if you've watched a few more recent war movies, for instance, like The Thin Red Line. Uh, All Quiet on the Western Front, 1917, and the the TV show Band of Brothers on HBO, you know that those are really serious, and they don't have a lot of comedic offset. 
and I'm not saying war is a comedy by any means. It isn't. But at least, and for every now and then, peppering it a little bit of humor lightens the mood a little bit and makes things kind of, you know, keeps, keeps it moving. And I think that this movie does a nice job of peppering in, you know, Henry Hook's sort of jackass, smarmy attitude about being a soldier versus the reality that they're fighting against insurmountable odds and have to rely on their technical skill in order to survive. So I thought the balance between drama and comedy was nice. It wasn't too dramatic, but it wasn't it wasn't a you know comedy review. Yeah. So the, going back to the compare that the the hook the what, what's his name Henry Hook Henry Hook. <laughs> so to compare him to like other characters we've seen in other movies, like he reminds me of William Holden's character, ah. Commander Sears and Bridge on the River Kwai, which we did yes. a couple episodes back about how you know he was in this internment camp and he routinely like would bribe the guards to ensure that he is put in the sick list, which allows him to avoid hard labor. <laughs> but in the end, like he ends up leading the charge like back to like blow up the bridge and yeah. You know. Yeah. It kind of shows you that, you know, there's honor among men and honor among <laughs> honor among assholes in the military. Maybe it means like they are there for a purpose, right? Like he was there, he's a soldier. He just didn't want to be there. And I can't say I blame him. They're in South Africa in January and it's a hundred degrees outside. No water. God. I mean, I mean, seriously, it, it, this battle took place January 22nd to 23rd, 1879 in South Africa. It's literally a furnace. <laughs> and, 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 if, and if anybody has seen the British military at this time, they have red felt jackets, white wool pants, high boots, and they're Ooh, sweating pants. like whores in church. Wool pants. Exactly. I mean, they're My in the God. <laughs> I, yeah. So you get the point, though. Like they're covered head to toe in wool. In Africa, I can mean, imagine, just can you imagine what that suit smells like when you take it off? Well, you, know, <laughs> you can't even. I mean, but if you imagine, but I don't. It's like I, like I, I remember, like I've, we all have smelled bad before after sporting events and playing flag football. You're like, woo, yeah, you smell but, like a fucking locker room. And you're not. I mean, and, and I played sports all through college, and so I remember having you know, my practice clothes were just like it, it had like that. You sort of like you know. Linus grossness about the blanket coming off and <laughs> was like that. But you imagine being in felt in Africa and in, in the heat of in the heat of a summer, or, which for them summer was January. Yeah. It just didn't sound didn't sound pleasant. But again, war is never meant to be pleasant. I mean, it's yeah, it's when, hard. When when was war pleasant? And so just overall though, I mean, I thought the movie did a really nice job at you know, capturing these competing dynamics between some of the characters. It had good comedy balance with good dramatic balance. It was more or less period accurate with the way they portrayed the battle formations and tactical moves and firearms and everything else. And you know, I thought that overall, they really couldn't have done a lot better. And and for Michael Caine's first foray onto the screen, kudos, launched his career. I mean, he... He became a household name in the 70s. I mean, I'm not even sure w- w- what his next movie was after this, but I mean, he's certainly um, no stranger to awards and casting. So he got better with age. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean, yeah. I, again, I've the, the, the only movies the his the starting point was a Christmas Carol. Then I saw Jaws 4 and that's it. I don't know anything else before or yeah, before Christmas Carol. I've seen, you know, I've seen a lot, everything afterwards. But nothing, nothing before. Why would you ever watch Jaws 4, though? I don't understand. I'll tell you why, Joe, because I remember growing up as a kid, that's all they fucking played on Easter Sunday on TBS was all four fucking Jaws movies. 
And I remember just being at my grandmother's house or being at my cousin's house. And, you know, I don't know why we weren't watching Nickelodeon. Maybe because Jaws was on and we were kids and we were watching and they cut out all the bad stuff on TV. But I can't prove that one way or another. But that's why. (laughs) Fair enough. Um, yeah, he was in the Italian job, and then Simon and Simon. That was supposed to be a good one. I mean, I, I mean, I do remember he was in the original Get Carter, which was a British uh, gangster movie, which was remade in America with Stallone, and it was terrible. <laughs> you know, again, yeah, we've we've given Stallone a hard time for some of his duds like Rhinestone Cowboy and Cobra. Fucking thing sucks. <laughs> 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 and so the the get carter remake from 2001 was pretty bad yeah it was that was that was pretty i've never by the way i've never i've never seen jaws 4 if i if i remember it was called like jaws revenge or whatever yep i've just i've never seen it and i have no desire to see it oh my god i mean it, it's fucking terrible i mean so i think jaws 3 is the worst so obviously the first jaws is the best the second and then the fourth and then i put the third yeah, Jaws four man. They, that took place down in Jamaica. So Ugh. like, yeah. So like, the family, um, Royce Roberts' um, wife, he ends up dying in a heart attack of dying of a heart attack at some point before the movie. <laughs> anyway, of those two boys that they had, the youngest one, he gets killed by uh, by the shark because he's out on like this uh, rescue mission, like in the water in Cape Cod. He ends up getting killed. Jaws ends up eating the boat, and he went down with it. <laughs> so anyway, they were like, "Oh, we need to get away from this town," and. You know, mom, she's, you know, she lost her husband, she lost her son. So the oldest boy, he he lives down in Jamaica and he's doing like some kind of oceanography, marineology bullshit. So what is what happens? The shark follows them down all the way to Jamaica. <laughs> and then, um, yeah, then this the shark, he just, you know, the shark just, you know, does what it, he does on the it beach. Does what, it does kills, what Jaws kills, does. Kills a couple people and they end up killing the, the shark. But yeah, uh, Michael Caine, though, his character in the movie is... Um, Oh, the mom's new love interest. His name is Hoagie, too. I can live with that. The movie or his part? His part. If 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 a character named Hoagie was in my life, we're good. Hoagie. How the but fuck do you get a, how the fuck you get a nickname like Hoagie? You and I both know there's probably some fat fuck in Philadelphia with a nickname Hoagie. Yeah, like probably. some ble- <laughs> like some like some bleacher creature at the at old veteran stadium, right up, up yeah. in the, up in the seven hundreds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Although I have to say for Michael Caine, though, one of my favorite roles of his, it's actually in a Steven Seagal movie. He plays the evil businessman villain in On Deadly Ground from like the mid 90s on the oil. On the oil. Oh, my God. Oh, you should. It's and look, we haven't done a Seagal movie on the show and we probably won't because most of them are pretty terrible. There's one that's worthy. Maybe two. One, I think can do it. But this one's not that one movie. And. He he did a great job playing an asshole businessman, oil tycoon, versus Steven Seagal's like environmental, you know, you know, ninja karate, whatever he is. Yeah, you know, it's a it's a, it, it's a typical Seagal movie, right? But yeah, um, I thought he was a good. That was a good movie. It's called, it's called On Deadly Ground. If you ever want to see it, so the name the nickname Hoagie comes from the Irish surname of Hogan, or the sandwich in, found in the Philadelphia metropolitan area. Whatever. <laughs> Whatever you want to believe. I'll believe a Schwarbaum hoagie fest. Thank you. Hell yeah. But no, this was a good pick, Joe. Yeah, I really enjoyed I, this. This yeah. we this the, so this whole stretch of like this topic of movies that we decided to do, we're like, oh, we're we're getting tired of doing the classics, yep. comedies. Like we should go back to like pick some movies that either no one of us, I should say, has even heard of or seen. 
because it's always good like to just to throw another one in your in your encyclopedia of movies that you've seen um so i've never seen this one and a lot of this whole stretch had we had a lot of wartime battle movies we there was this one then we did bridge on the river kwai we did uh empire of the sun last week Mm -hmm. so this was uh this was really good um yeah and I, th- and I don't know. I mean, I think just there's something something special about war movies, especially if they're not overly, you know, if they're if they're not. I mean, it's it's hard to do a war movie bad because you've got the, sto- the source. I mean, you've got the military stuff in front of you. I mean, and I can't think of really a bad war movie that, that, that you know, a, an actual properly done movie, not some like third party knockoff war movie, but like an actual war movie, either actual fighting or sort of the backstory behind a war, like um, Full Metal Jacket, for example, where it's sort of like half and half, where you get sort of half fighting and half like the background of how these Marines became what they were in Vietnam. And so I've I don't think I've seen a poorly done war movie, but I think the one of some of the ones I've seen, it's been hit or miss on historical accuracy and and sort of you know how well done it is. And so I think that this movie checks a lot of boxes for being pretty close to historically accurate as you can be for a movie. I mean, there is some Hollywood, right? I mean, you have to give some drama to some of the parts because, you know, in wartime, a lot of the war is kind of like you're not doing anything. Like if you watch any movie in World War One, a lot of and when you talk about trench warfare, for example, most of the time in the trenches, you sat there holding your rifle, shaking the shit out of yourself because you're waiting for someone to shoot at you. But then, but then nobody ever shot at each other until you crossed the no man's land and then the guns came on. So, you know, a lot of so there is some Hollywood aspect to these types of movies. And they either has to be in order for it to get butts in the seats. You just can't you just can't retell the war. So it's not a bio, a biographical movie. There has to be some character dynamics and development. There has to be some theater out aspect to it, which is where some of the dramatic comes in and the comedy comes in from the characters and themselves more than the setting. And awesome. so for I enjoy war movies across the board, so I think this, I'm happy. I'm happy we did this, and maybe we'll do a more modern war movie in the um, in a late in a later show. I gotta say, what what I also liked about this is that you don't see movies be made around this particular battle or mm. this moment in, in in history. A lot of the war movies you see is always World War II or sometimes something during Vietnam. Yeah. Um, so there's, I really like I really like I really like tend to watch like movies like this. This yeah. these are the ones that interest me just because there's like basically nothing like this out there. Yeah. Another one that I haven't gotten around to seeing that I really want to see, and whenever I you know Paw Patrol or fucking uh you know encounter <laughs> get off my TV and I get a couple uh, hours to myself, I really want to see the movie 1917. Yes, we should do that on this show. So That's I want to see that because that takes place I guess during World War One. Then it, it is takes place um, in little April of 1917 after the Battle of the Somme in France. So um, it, it's uh, it's an amazing movie. If you and I know you haven't seen it, you just said that. But when you do sit, really sit down and like have no one around you, like nothing else to do, because you're gonna have to sit and like pay attention because it was shot in one shot. So you're gonna have to sort of really sit down and focus on details that are around you. You can't like I wouldn't stop it. Just watch. But I think that for war movies in general, there's just something so captivating about getting a little history lesson while seeing some Hollywood in it. And it also serves, I mean, I think all war movies serve as a reminder of sort of where we've been as a people and, you know, things to think about kind of in going forward about what we shouldn't do because, you know, those who ignore history are doomed to repeat it. So it is nice to see war movies being made that capture sort of the, the reality of warfare and the aftermath of it. And so, but you, but I, I do think you are right though in your in your in your viewpoint on 
you know, there's there's a lot of movies about World War II and even more on Vietnam. And it makes sense because those were those were video recorded for, for the public to see the first time. You know, so there is real footage of those wars, which you didn't get obviously pre, you know, pre World War Two. There was photographs of World War One, but like not like real like live camera footage, which you got in World War Two towards the end, and you certainly got in Vietnam. But I can only hear Fortunate Son so many times in my life before I just want to turn it off. Oh I mean, yeah. I mean uh, every Vietnam War movie ever made has at least one Creedence Clearwater revival song in it. And while I understand that the music fits the time period i can only hear fortunate son so many more times in my life before i just have to just like check the box like all right we get it <laughs> i mean so i i personally like movies about world war one I, I think that was the first modern because that's the first real modern conflict that sort of changed the landscape of the world not that these other land other wars didn't like like a, the u.s civil war for example or like this anglo zulu war when when britain occupying south africa those are important conflicts but they weren't to the gravity of World War One, which was called the Great War for a reason. They had 63 million casualties. And so there's not a lot of movies on There's some books on it. The most famous would be All Quiet on the Western Front, which is also a movie now on Netflix, by the way. I heard it's excellent. So for me, just I like I like war movies. I like this time period. I like movies that are not, you know, that that are a little bit off the beaten path. It seems like you do too. So I'm happy we got to do this. And so maybe we'll do another movie of, of this type in another, another show. But I do think we have another type of movie coming down the pipe. That'll be a little more fun for everybody. Yes. So that's a good title. The title of this uh, whole uh, stretch of, cat, of a, a good category title that you just gave it a <laughs> off the beaten path movies. Yeah. So which brings us to we decided that we we're going to keep riding these these categories because it just you know makes it more fun and just we're not like shooting at the hip of random movies. So we are going to do <laughs> and uh, this we could create a whole different fucking podcast just on this category is that movies that would not get made today. Um, <laughs> so I don't know. I haven't really. So, here, all right, so here's the thing for our listeners who haven't seen a lot of, a lot of movies like this yet. On the show, in earlier episodes, we've often talked about, would the movie we're talking about on the show get made today in its current form? So with all the either violence or graphical nature, language, stereotypes, these sorts of things. And the truth is, a lot of movies that we've talked about on the show, some of them would get made today in their current form. Others would probably never see the outside of a blue filing cabinet below a producer's desk. I think the most prominent <laughs> example we've done so far of that is Tropic Thunder. Yes. You could never make that today. No studio on the planet would pick that up. No. As amazing as it is, it would never get made today in any form. So I don't um I don't know which movie we're gonna do yet. I haven't decided. But <laughs> it'll nonetheless it'll be a, it'll be a good one. So that'll do it for this week's episode of the Rewind It Back podcast. Again, the next category we're doing is movies that would not get made today. Thank you for everyone who tuned in on Twitch tonight, if there was any of you. We do. And thank you for everyone who tunes in to us weekly on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and Breaker. Joe, it was good seeing you. Again, great pick. Yep. Thank um, you. This was, a good, this was a good run of this. Uh, these five movies we did of movies off the beaten path, as so you, as so <laughs> you eloquently put it. Um, so that'll do it for this week. Thank you everyone for listening again and goodbye.